Say sure, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Elaine. I am Scoop Magoop. And uh, today we have an interesting episode that um, I am a little bit nervous about because, uh, you know, just I think there are many ways to. I think, and in this podcast, we, we, we have been able to make idiots out of ourselves, mostly me, um, pretty easily. And I think this will probably be our greatest chance to do this. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> basically, we, we've talked about before here that um, sort of indigenous music, the so-called world music, um, is you know sort of a umbrella term, not an umbrella term that we like, but um, you know, specifically the, the term world music. Um, but it's always been something that both of us have been interested in exploring more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, sort of off off recording that we should just like just pick a random area of the world and just do an exploration similar to our other like genre explorations but of the indigenous music of that area and you you were all on board with that um yeah and i was pretty psyched too because uh you know this week i said we're gonna do uh east asia which um i am just gonna look up our text really quick yeah so just because I, I think there's there's a lot of definitions of what East Asia, what countries count as East Asia. Um, I'm just literally going to, you know, just be the lazy ass and go off of Wikipedia, which says uh, China, Hong Kong, Macau, Mongolia, North Korea, South Korea, Japan and Taiwan. Uh, you know, I saw like possibly Vietnam could be in there, uh, but that's more south. The, it's more like southeast than south. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, let's just, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll talk about you know like we'll talk about India, we'll talk about Vietnam, Laos, you know th- those other wonderful countries um, at some other point in time. We're pretty much just keeping to those countries. I didn't even do all of those. Uh, there are a couple that I kind of just you know uh, actually totally you know slipped my mind. Like Macau, I'm like I <laughs> you know didn't really think about that one. Um, but so I also, I mean, there, that was one I was most because I don't really know much about that country, frankly. I, I um, couldn't even tell you where Macau is in a world map. Yeah. And I guess that again just 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 shows how stupid we are. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like I, um, I even try because I use regular music as I usually do for these discussions, and I couldn't find anything about that. So, yeah, I I honestly didn't even think like like I I was just going off of like my just what was in my head and i'm like okay so china japan korea uh maybe mongolia maybe taiwan and hong kong but mm-hmm. like not really mongolia or macau so um all that to say you know so we haven't gotten every country but also uh neither of us speak any of those languages yeah honestly um, as i was picking what i wanted to talk about i'm like man I, i'm gonna have to yeah. apologize several times yeah so so <laughs> I, I i feel like we should do like, like i think this is just sort of our blanket apology right now we do not mean any offense if we mispronounce shit we, we don't stupid. speak any of these um, languages I, i've tried I, i've tried to teach myself japanese before and just gave up on that mighty quick um but you know <laughs> 
So, yeah. So we're 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 gonna butcher these pronunciations. Um, yeah. But let's just get into it, Scott. How how many albums did you do, by the way? I think you mentioned that probably cap it at five, and it worked out well because, um, looking at this list, I I kind of grouped it into, you know, taking out Macau, taking out Hong Kong because I feel like there's not, um, at least for me, I couldn't find a clear cultural distinction in terms of music from Hong Kong, China. I know obviously there's a lot of political strife within the independence of Hong Kong, so I figured I would just stick with China. I picked China, Japan, Mongolia, uh, South Korea, just, the you know, I found a more interesting music from, you know, from that specific part. I I mean, so, like, I I honestly think of the two as one in in this particular instance. Yeah. I, I, I don't really see how I mean I, I I guess a dictatorship could theoretically change what people consider indigenous music of that area. Yeah, that's true. But um, I mean, I, I'm going off more like you know like medieval Asia, you know, where like Korea was just one big Korea, sort sort of like you know how like a hundred years ago North and South Dakota were just one big Dakota, which is totally <laughs> real. Don't look it up. <laughs> uh, wait, it wasn't a joke stolen from Fairly Odd Parents at all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, so, so, so you did five? Yeah, and then, and then the fifth one being Taiwan, and tried okay. to be very... Um, very eclectic. I mean, I think yeah. that in some ways uh, I picked a couple contemporary iterations of indigenous music and you know we'll, we'll get into that but i think i, I kept the spirit I, of that's the music we're within talking these about, countries that's what we're talking about right now i think just just to make sure because i i think when i was doing research for this i found it really difficult to like sort of discern what was a traditional recording or not you know whether it was um you know somebody doing uh original compositions on an instrument that was from you know uh more uh earlier times wow yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm already fucking up um yeah i or, no, or whether I... it was because like i i came across a few albums that you know sort of took um you know traditional folk music and then added its own twist to it and like i was like this is kind of cool but i can't count it uh there's one exception to the rule that i made in here um i think Again, it, it's it's kind of hard to tell because you know again we don't speak any of these languages so, and we're not too well versed in their culture, so we can't like like we're 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 basically going on like instruments I feel like yeah in a way it, we're going on like sort of um, styles of sound yeah is, and for me the, the album I picked from uh, China was released in 1969 there was. Um, a number of scholarly articles. I mean, they were pretty brief, uh, talking about this specific album, and oh. it made, made showed me up. <laughs> well, well, just because I, I was interested in in learning more about it, because yeah. a number, um, I would say two, two or three of these I had to listen to on YouTube, just because they weren't on Apple Music. Um, you know, they kind of are, are deep cut releases. I mean, for yeah. some of these countries, it took quite a while to find something that looked interesting and felt like it represented a significant tradition in, um, you know, in of those countries. But yeah. the album I referenced from from China, you know, released in 1969, a lot of the 
the writing about it said that at the time it was very rare um, very uncommon for these kind of musical traditions to be recorded and brought back to the Western world. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're talking about countries that have been around, you know, for centuries upon centuries. Obviously, they thousands have, of years, yeah, like, exactly. you know, you know, prehistoric. Yeah. You know, so, so they have very established, very long standing musical traditions that, um, you know, th- th- there's there's a lot of wiggle. Not everything's clear. Yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room there in terms of, okay, you know, are we even, you know, is this exactly how it was performed? You know, yeah. did, did they, did they, you know, do the ancient musicians keep um, music in the same way? Like, are, are we, you know, modifying this with modern, you know, modern lens? I feel like since exactly. these traditions are so old, it's just, you, you have to trust that people have done their homework. And I felt like I got very unique, distinct musical traditions from each of these uh, yeah I, each of these I, albums I, I personally tried to go for like a um you know because i you know if you go to like write your music and sort of you know play around in the regional music genres within write your music uh they have like a difference between classical music and, yeah, folk, and folk music yeah, yeah which that, that made it a little tough yeah well but i i can kind of get that but it, it did mm-hmm. definitely make a sort of distinction there and I think that's something worth talking about too, just because. Um, so you know, it, it, I, I guess what what we talk about when we talk about indigenous indigenous music is not always music that was played, you know, like a thousand years ago, you know, or even like five hundred years ago. It's more, um, I guess, music that is not influenced by Western, you know, uh, musical traditions, or at least not too. A heavy degree where it's very obvious that mm-hmm. they're influenced um anyway so i i did five as well so do yeah. you just want to do what we did last time and just switch off yeah and i will say that one small caveat they're actually specific to mongolia and you, you might be able you might recognize who i'm referencing here there's a contemporary band that takes oh. a lot of the uh, and I'll mention them when I talk about the album I actually did listen to. But there's a contemporary band that takes Mongolian folk traditions, incorporates it into metal. And Isn't it t- Ten Gear Calvary? Yes. Right? And yeah. that, to me, I just feel like that that didn't really count. Like I, yeah, I wanted no, to. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to have albums from people trying to. Um, and I feel like there's maybe one album that's a bit of an. An exception, but people trying to honor that tradition wholeheartedly. You know, oh. maybe you know with their own. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to shake the modern lens just because yeah. of how things have progressed, recording, writing, how they're um, trained. Weird, weird little poll before we start, though. I actually know one of the members of Ten Gear Calvary's mothers. <laughs> really? Yeah, I went to school with her interesting <laughs> yeah just just weird little just like she i i just remember like she was like she looked at my mom here she's like oh you you, you like metal i'm like yeah you know she's like oh you, you ever listen to 10 gear calvary i'm like huh no <laughs> like that's i like i know really, of them but, that's yeah. really interesting it's small yeah. world i know kind of weird <laughs> but hey, anyway like, why don't you start us off scott yeah so the the first album i'll just go out you know alphabetically that's how i have it listed in my my notes but uh mm. starting in china um, you know, p- part of my, I, I looked at the album art like I usually do, but also just what, what was the release? Cause I wanted to do a completely different 
musical tradition and kind of musical setup for each of these albums. So the first, very, very traditional Chinese music. This is um, John Levy is a, like a philosopher, a British um, musicologist, I guess, who put this together. But really, it's, it's you know, listed as various artists. And this is uh, Chinese Taoist music. Um, oh, you know, yeah. Recorded I, in 1969. Oddly enough, it was recorded in Taiwan. I'm not really sure how... I think that's kind of interesting. I couldn't find a lot of you know, reasoning as to why, but this is the release I was talking about. Well, where... you said 69, right? Well, yeah. What year was the whole Cultural Revolution? Um, I, I don't know. If it's, I know I learned it at some point. Yeah, but... I know. I, I, I'm just thinking like that, that that could be part that, of the reason. That could, yeah, for sure. But, um, but John Levy, interesting, uh, interesting fellow. Yeah, so he was a British philosopher musicologist like i said um i guess he was pretty wealthy considered himself a, a mystic um and he really was interested in asian folk music uh at one point he gave away his fortune and lived in india with only a loincloth um and then he spent you know definitely other... thought about doing that before yeah <laughs> he spent other years uh you know i guess he had a guru i'm assuming in india and he helped with you know, translating some of his books into English, and it's just a very eclectic guy. But he helped record, um, you know, some traditional Chinese Taoist music. It, it really is exactly what it is, and it's fascinating because a lot of this is not really. I don't even know if you'd classify it as mute. Just hearing it nowadays, uh, it very much mm. is in some of the writings or the the writings I read. Um, almost utilitarian in how it was it was created for their spiritual practices you know there's a lot of um you know almost like chanting in in kind of like a chinese taoist tradition as you'd imagine like very um not aggressive but forceful and very spiritual uh banging of uh, gongs and and cymbals and a lot of rhythmic drumming and these were all meant for different uh, ceremonies you know some were meant to ward off spirits some were meant just as a celebration of, of, of prayer and meditation and it was really fascinating it felt like the way they recorded it uh, i i was very i felt very transported to watching you know monks actually perform this for their ritual i mean it helped that you had the the really really great old photograph for the cover art of you know a beautiful temple and it was really, really fascinating. It was really, really a, a fun way to kick this off because I mm. felt like I was, I was actually, you know, right there entrenched in this ancient tradition. And it felt very, um, it did feel very indigenous. I think that's a, a good word. It felt like this is um, an early form of how uh, folk music and, and traditional music in this part of the world might have evolved. It evolved from, you know, as many things, religion, you know, inspires art just because that's where a lot of, um, you know, culture is is rooted in the earlier parts of civilizations. And yeah. it, it felt like, um, it, you know, it felt like I could hear the basis for how some other music of these traditions evolved from just... Um, I don't know if it was uh, my favorite 
you know, I definitely enjoyed listening to it, but it wasn't as memorable. It wasn't something that I could, eat, you know, I think a couple of these releases I, I could personally, I could see actually purchasing. Mm, this wasn't me, one me of them. Me too, actually. Yeah. Right. This wasn't one of them. I, I enjoyed it. It was a fun experience, but it, like I said, just because of, you know, how my ear has been trained over listening to music in the, you know, 2010s, 2000s, it just didn't feel as musical. But again, that also wasn't really the point of a lot of these these compositions yeah i i think like you know that idea of having music that serves a function is something that really isn't thought of as much anymore yeah ironically because music is so heavily commoditized now Mm -hmm. um but like you know i immediately my mind jumped to like chamber music you know or like western chamber music because like the whole point of that was like you know they literally played that in you know a noble's chambers like so it wasn't supposed to be this giant orchestra Mm-hmm. you know so it's it, and a little like when you were talking about uh sort of how there's roots in religion for a lot of this music i mean i i would argue that they were one and the same thing sure yeah uh, absolutely. At, at one point you know um but this idea of, of sort of um yeah like function-based music um i th- that is something that initially drew me to this area of the world because of um i think a this was a while ago. Uh, one of my albums of the week was uh, an album of Gagaku music, mm-hmm. which is uh, specifically like Japanese court music. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, a, a, similar to how you described this album, um, it was you know full of these strange drones and like at times it didn't feel like music almost because you know it was just it came from such a different place. I guess is probably the best way to put it, uh, as opposed to you know like. As opposed to us, who were just like you know, in a sense, music is is at its base entertainment. Yeah, um, I think for for like Gakaku music, I mean, it, it served a higher purpose than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned this album because I was thinking of listening to it, and then um, I didn't find it on Apple Music because I was, and I was like, no, like that's a deal breaker for me for some yeah. reason. Um, but I really wanted to because I I am like uh, like I, I owe a lot to Taoism. Uh, like the Tao Te Ching is like one of my favorite books. Like I'm not even joking. Like mm-hmm. I I always like I for some reason like I, at least once a year I pick it up and just read through it all the way because um, I think it's just such an interesting book uh, and sort of an interesting way to look at the world. Yeah, um, I remember we you know when Laura and I were having a tough time on Long Island, you sent us a copy of. Tao of Pooh. If I'm oh yeah, Tao. Of, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is which is which a great is a, book is too. A, yeah, it's a great, great book. Yeah, I was um, just talking with the, the original. Like, um, I think there's yeah, it's Red Pine who trend mm-hmm. who does does the special translation that I really like. Yeah, because he's really like he's like digging into like the actual translations and like checking out all these different versions of of the same text to sort of see what like the authoritative version of it would be. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's pretty interesting. But I, anyway. Um, no, that, that was really interesting. Um, I think for so for mine, you, you said you're doing, you're doing yours in alphabetical order. Um, uh, just, just by the country, for no, oh, rhyme, no oh, rhyme or reason. Okay. I just, you know, right. I just listed them it, out like that. See, you see, I, I just kind of let, like, I'm listing them out as basically as I listen to them. So there's really no rhyme or reason here. Yeah. Um, so my first was also, um, ancient Chinese music that that's what's listed as in rate your music um, but this is solo um, instrumentation this is um, 
The musician's name is Chen Gongliang, and uh, it's just called Guquin, I think. Is uh, so the Guquin. I, I I don't even know how to say that name right. It's G U Q I N. It's basically a member of the uh, the Zither family, which is you know kind of like pluck strings basically. Um, this particular instrument has seven strings that are plucked, but also played uh, in a way that's almost like guitar, actually. Like, okay. there are some techniques of it that sort of use uh, interesting string harmonics that kind of remind me a little bit of, like, almost, like, not quite, but almost like sort of, like, string tapping on guitar. Um, and so, but as I said, this is just Chen Gongliang doing this instrument, uh, mm. just solo, unaccompanied, uh, you know, for about an hour. And, it, you know, it's really interesting. I, I can't say it was, again, one of my favorites out of out of the whole bunch, but it it, it was it had a lot of variety to it, uh, which is something I, I've always found to be tough with some, like, indigenous music, that there's not a ton of, you know, different things going on from track to track, mm-hmm. um, m- mostly because I don't think it was supposed to. Like, it, it wasn't... It wasn't made with that purpose of being, you know, entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, I, I found it to be really interesting, though. You know, it was a really, um, it was just a nice, quiet listen. I, th- that's what I liked about a lot of these was that they were all very intimate in sort of their uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't. Uh, I don't think there was a single thing I listened to this week that that really sounded like it was. Um, you know something grand or monumentous like it felt very close to the heart mm-hmm. um and i really like that yeah absolutely i i don't know um for me i felt that it wasn't always beautiful <laughs> it wasn't always yeah um you know i think two in particular weren't exactly i, I would say enjoyable to listen to they were very intense but you're you're right that it was very intimate it felt like i was there witnessing um, a moment that in some cases it was like, I don't know if I'm, I should be <laughs> like, I don't know if, um, you know, this is something that someone that does not belong to their faith traditions should experience. But it was nice to get a glance into, into that part of, you know, culture, obviously I'm not familiar with at all. Mm. Um, yeah. So. All right. so what do you have for your next album? This actually, actually, ironically, th- this was definitely the most, the most intimate and the most beautiful release that I, uh, I heard. <laughs> it was, uh, oh, okay. This is where I start apologizing. Uh, Kimio Eto, uh, Koto music. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so Kimio was a, he was blind from birth. Um, he it's, played, it's a, I think it's Ito, but Kimio I'm not going to, yeah, see the yeah. Um, yeah. But he played the, uh, you know, as, as the name suggests, the uh, koto. It's a traditional Japanese instrument. Um, so it was 13 strings, 13 movable bridges. They were plucked using three finger picks, one of the thumb, index finger, and middle finger. It kind of looked like a... It, it, it's, it's kind of like a lap steel. Almost. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like an ancient wooden version of a lap. That, that's a great uh, way to Which, they, I, sorry, I, if you don't mind me just jumping in really quick here because i actually did a koto album as well but i won't talk about that for a little bit oh nice but but just uh i actually there's this really cool video on the koto that uh, i saw as uh rob scallon's channel 
Uh, it was really interesting just to see people play it. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I, yeah. love, I love his stuff. Yeah, it, it was one. it was really cool. He he does a lot of really cool videos just about like strange instruments, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Koto is pretty much like in the same family as the Guquen and like uh, a couple of other instruments that I've actually going to be talking about today. Uh, just in that they're pluck strings. Some of them don't always have movable bridges, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really cool to see those movable bridges work because like they they have a scale that they're set for Japanese music, but since they're movable, you can put them in literally any scale. Mm-hmm. So like, but it's it's just an interesting. It's it's a cool realization when you think about that. You know, this is a part of the world that has you know at that time when these instruments were being made and this music was being made had no uh you know concept of what westerns considered you know um sort of tonality like they had their mm-hmm. own set of tonality and i always think that's the coolest thing yeah absolutely and and this is an instrument that i'm sure i mean it sounded very familiar obviously from you know just to be on anime probably and other pieces of <laughs> japanese media i mean just to you know that's i probably where so, i've I, I think it's a Kodo, but I'm not totally sure. But yeah. if you remember, the, 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 there's a uh, song, there's an Incubus song called uh, Aqueous Transmission, I think. Oh, I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's literally just like this single riff that's being played over and over again. It's a beautiful song. But I, I, I kind of get what you mean. Like, the, the Shakuhachi uh, shows up in, like, it feels like every episode of Naruto that has a battle yes um i fucking love it so (laughs) no it's it's great and it was um you know this album literally just um kimio ito playing the koto and it was beautiful uh interestingly enough this was released in 1959 so um you know 10 a decade earlier than the taoist music but at the same time I could see he ended up uh, going to America, and I think he uh, kind of became like a national figure both in Japan and, and abroad. He collaborated with some larger orchestras, so I think he, in some ways, sought the spotlight. And of course, there's always um, there's always some I don't want to say novelty that seems to be downplaying it, but you know when when someone is able to excel at their instrument with a you know pretty significant disability you know being able to play the koto mm. while blind i mean that that's pretty you know it's kind of kind of like ray charles how he steve wonder yeah, yeah, yeah was able to do what he's able to do without being able to see but this i mean i totally just i could picture the um the uh, the, the cherry blossom gardens and the traditional you know japanese houses and just the, the beautiful scenery that you, you've seen in any number of pieces of japanese media and just this mm. really calm serene gorgeous string string instrument that um again i think that's a great way to put it it was really just intimate it just felt mm -hmm. like i i was you know sitting there in in a room with him and just just playing these incredible you know bars this incredible sequence of notes um it was very very simple and actually you know a lot of it frankly blended together i think i ended up i started listening to another album that just started on you know autoplay on youtube because you know it just kind of you couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference yeah well uh, I, I felt like i was like man this is like going on a lot longer than i thought it would and i sure enough it was another album i don't forget yeah. which one it was but I, I didn't dislike it it just i i thought it was going out it's definitely one of those things that i think that, that that's going to happen a lot that you know a lot of it is going to be very similar 
again because it's it's not like I, I, I don't think that that was the intent to be you know different I guess yeah like it wasn't as much about creative expression as it was more about like reverence I guess and it, that's actually something I wanted to note about uh, Koto and like sort of Japanese music in as opposed to Chinese music there's this there's just like this reverence about Japanese music that I don't that I didn't hear in any of the other countries uh, whose indigenous music we studied mm-hmm. this week uh, which I thought was really interesting like um, because I so I'll just go to my next album if, if do, you, do you have anything else no that, that, that was about it, okay. it just, I, right. you know, I know I, I mentioned it but explicitly that, that was my album from Japan you know, yeah. I mentioned, so. yeah um so i actually kind of stuck with china for the next one um i did an artist who i actually already know about uh his name's i again we're gonna mispronounce his guo gan so g-u-o-g-a-n uh he's an urhu player um mm-hmm. which is uh a sort of a two-stringed chinese instrument yep um it's kind of played like a violin in a way i, I think it's fretted if i remember right though um it i love the way the thing sounds like um yeah so there's they i i actually knew about this instrument because um garage band actually has uh like midi urhu that that, that 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 you can use and i there were just times that i would go to it and just play randomly on it because it was already oh, set to like a pentatonic scale um and it was just like this it was so beautiful sounding Mm-hmm. And so, like, I um, I was thinking of listening to an album of his that I actually have thought about buying at one point, but um, I decided on a different one, which is called, uh, it's called Moon Knight. Okay. And so this is sort of where my exception to the rule of, like, indigenous music sort of comes in, because this is technically, these are compositions by a modern composer uh, whose name is uh, Liu Tianhua, mm-hmm. um, who is a composer, I think, in, like, the early 1900s. Um, so like, you know, modern, you know, but I, I, I kind of counted this because, you know, he, he's still using the Urhu and he's still, you know, um, sort of the, the scales that were being used still felt very much within sort of this region of the world as opposed yeah. to being incredibly influenced by, by the West. Like it still felt like I, I, I still wanted to count it, I guess. Because I, I still think it does count because, like, you know, ju- just because someone uses the, you know, the word composer to describe themselves doesn't necessarily mean that they're part of the Western tradition. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I mean, weird example, but, but like, Glenn Branca is, like, you know, considered a composer. But, like, what he did was not very much like anybody else had done up to that point. Yeah. So, um, but all that's it. So this is just, again, solo instrumentation. This is just Urhu on its own um it was so beautiful <laughs> like you know i it was a little bit easier to digest compared to the um the previous uh Gukuin, um album d- d- just because i think um given that this was sort of more of a modern composer i think there is more variety sort of put into the compositions more, more thoughts put into the compositions themselves uh, to sort of stand out in a way so uh, it was really interesting. I mean, but but as, as much as there was variety, it still kind of blended together, mostly because Chinese music, uh, from what I've seen, tends to use um, something similar to like a pentatonic scale. Um, I can't really, I, I again, I'm not a musicologist, 
by any means. I don't know a whole lot of music theory, but that's what it's always sounded like to me is it mm-hmm. has this um, sort of this happy singing quality to it. Um, kind of like this innocence to it. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's one of those like scales that like you can just pick right out if you hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a blues, like, like if, if you hear a blues scale, like you, you know what, you know what you're hearing kind of. Um, so yeah, it was a really, uh, beautiful, I mean, it, again, it was like similar to your Koto album it was very simple. You know, it was just, it was just, you know, Gogon playing, you know, this music, you know, and it's, there, there really wasn't any like sort of new techniques or anything with this instrument. It was pretty much just played exactly how it's always played. So, I don't really have much more to say about it. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds great. Yeah, um, yeah, and right. I, I think that there is something to be said about a modern artist. Really, and this is kind of a nice lead into my next pick. But a modern artist trying to honor the traditions of the past, and specifically trying to channel that for a modern audience, because. I found myself appreciating, with the exception of uh, Kimio Eto, um, my favorite uh, was an artist trying to honor that tradition, but knowing how to how to present it in somewhat of a, a modern way, but still kind of trying to find a balance of both. Because uh, I feel mm. like, again, like we, we've been saying, some of the early iterations of, of these styles of music and these performances weren't really intended to be totally entertaining uh, or Mm. at least weren't intended to be entertaining in the way we experience music nowadays so uh, and then obviously the the other barrier the fact that a lot of this wasn't on traditional streaming services and you know I don't think any of the streams I listened to were on YouTube were official but thankfully this next (laughs) one um, was exactly what I was looking for to represent Mongolia uh, because as I experienced with Tengar Cavalry, Mongolian throat singing, mm. I, I find fascinating. It's just... Yeah, I, it, it, I, it's beautiful. Throat singing in general is really beautiful. And I, I still don't... I mean, I, I've watched videos. I, I, you know, I literally know how they do it, but I, I don't know how they do it. Like, I just... It's, I yeah. can't even imagine it, doing it myself. It, it's like a matter of, like, they're using overtones. Yeah. Kind of. Which... I only vaguely know that there's actually there's a Stockhausen piece that that does over I think it's called Mantra and it's literally just it's pretty much just throat singing in a sense for an entire hour and it, it's it's amazing because it sounds so incredible and I'm like I couldn't even come close to doing that uh, mm. but this is oh uh Eggshiglin the name of the album is Zazal it actually came out in 2000 and apparently these guys are pretty well known on the you know the international scale, they specifically set out to do exactly like I said. They wanted to take Mongolian traditions and present them in a a, a more modern way, in the sense of how it was produced, and um, make it more accessible, so that you know you don't have to dig through YouTube to find older recordings. You could listen to like a new, fresh iteration of these sounds, and they definitely stay true to those traditions. I mean, some of the interests instruments they use uh the morin kerr i guess it's a violin with two strings made of horsehair uh kind of sounds similar to the air you i mean a, a yeah. lot of a lot of instruments have their own like when the, i was the, the, sorry that that that's going to be something we're going to run into a lot in this episode that while these instruments are technically 
different. Uh, they all have very similar sounds depending on, you know, like, um, the, the, the sort of the family, the instrument family that they belong yeah. to. And so. I think that was something, going back to Eitu, is that, or Eito, um, you know, like, the different countries in that region had, like, their own variants of pretty much the exact same instrument. Yeah. Um, but the band also uses a topshire, which I guess is a lute, that's designed to look like a swan's throat as the neck. Uh, a, a, a jushin is a type of hammer dulcimer. Um, and then just, you know, more traditional bass, some, you know, classical or some traditional per- percussion for, from Mongolia. And then obviously the throat singing, which it's, it's to me, the best way I can, I can dumb it down is it sounds like, um, like, you know, when someone has like, like a voice box, like, like a stoma, like, like a smoker <laughs> and I'm real, I'm not trying to be, I probably am being disrespectful. I'm not trying to be, but it sounds like that except organic. Like somehow they're literally able yeah to, I, I I can kind of get what you yeah mean. like they're yeah. they're they're able to sing like through like not you know up their throat through their mouth but like through their throat they're able to sing and yeah. um, project it and this album was fantastic it just I totally felt it kind of reminded me of you know the band Ohm yeah yeah mm-hmm. how they you know it's it's an offshoot of the the old the band uh, Sleep, Sleep and they take a lot of the kind of Middle Eastern um arabic traditions and make very spiritual music it felt very much in that vein where i i could hear and appreciate the traditional aspects of their mongolian culture but they packaged it in a way that was very uh, immediate and beautiful and the production was incredible Uh, i really want to listen to this it it was great like i i that sounds really cool uh, I think of all these albums, I am actually genuinely interested in buying this. Uh, it was it was pretty long, and I think that was something I encountered with most. I think pretty much all these albums, they yeah. were just very long. But this was fantastic, and and I, if you've never experienced throat singing, you're listening to this. Definitely give it. It's it's unlike it's a very unique, you know, unlike anything I, I've heard, and it's such a cool practice. Um, mm, definitely. So yeah, I think I, I was most stoked about this of anything we listen. I listened to. I I wouldn't. I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Tanya uh, Takwin. I think she's like an. I, I think she's an Inuit um, musician, if I remember right. I'm not totally 100 percent on that, but she utilizes a lot of throat singing. But she does it in. Um, she she adds it more to like modern music. Um, she she's put out a couple of like she she's on she just shows. She, uh, she shows up on Pitchfork. Um, oh, okay. She has a new album, so like it, she she she's not unknown. Um, she famously worked with Bjork on um, Medulla. Okay. Like the, that album that's all vocals. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I you know it's funny. I was actually I was actually thinking about doing a throat singing album as well. Um, because there's this album. It's uh the artist's name is Lama Tashi, and I I don't know if that's he's simply the collector of the sounds or you know um a musician in his own right i'm assuming it's a man sorry but <laughs> uh but it's it, it's a tibetan buddhist monk chants oh cool and i was just like i'm like mm, i i like are we counting tibet as as is east asia because like technically there are parts of like india that are considered tibet and it's like this and I'm like, it, it, not not even considering the whole political intrigue involved with Tibet. Um, so I was just like, hmm, <laughs> some, some other time. Yeah. Uh, but the, 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 that's an album to 
worth like that's worth checking out uh if throat sling is interesting to anybody is called uh tibetan master chance nice. um i'm trying to remember who did that i because I, I i got it from like a quietus article um where these people were talking about like their favorite albums i i think it could have been like um it wasn't anna von Hauswolf, but it was like someone like in that you know kind of school of like um oh it was, it was this woman who was oh, i can't remember I, I i'm gonna think of it uh but i am gonna talk about my next thing this is a, a various artist compilation it's called uh japanese masterpieces for uh the shakuhachi so um i've i've referenced this already before uh the instrument the shakuhachi it's a uh kind of like a bamboo flute mm-hmm. um you know if, if you've ever watched like you know anything to do with samurai pretty much or ninja you've probably heard this um it has this very distinct earthy sort of tone to it and uh it's sort of it, i don't know it, it's it's very like droning in a way mm-hmm. um and it's it's texture is just oh, I, I i just i love the tone of the instrument i think it's uh-huh. just so beautifully played um this uh, this was sort of like a various arts compilation though that kind of had um uh, it had you know it was mostly shakuhachi but then there was some percussion sort of accompaniment and some vocal accompaniment um i can't really say much more about this this was probably my least favorite um uh, that i listened to and not because it was bad by any means it uh-huh. was just there was nothing that popped out and was like that kept me really glued to my seat with it um uh-huh. Though I, I do really like the shakuhachi, like I think it's it's just such a beautiful instrument. Um, you know, I actually have um, a couple shakuhachi albums um, I, that I've already bought before. Oh, uh, well, yeah. So like Ned Rothenberg has a couple of compositions that he's done for shakuhachi, but then there's um, this other musician I can't remember his name right now, but. Uh, it's all solo shakuhachi as well, but uh, unfortunately that one will, doesn't work on my CD player. So um, oh, that stinks. Yeah, it sucks. So I'm gonna have to sell it at some point. But I really do like the album. Um, anyway, so that's that. <laughs> nice. Uh, I will say it's interesting because now you know my next is from South Korea, and this was also my least favorite of the bunch, uh, but for for different reasons because I, I actually this took what I I the issues I had with the Taoist music yeah. to a whole new extreme. <laughs> like at least that had different rituals that had different sonic, you know, different sonic elements that they incorporated. This was virtually the same thing for over an hour. Uh, this is, and I think this is the biggest apology I'll have to give Kim Sok Shul. Oh yeah. I actually was going to do this album too, yeah. but I couldn't find it on well, Apple music. Mark Dong He Shamanism. And this is, so he, Kim Shokul is a, a really well-respected mystic, shaman in that area. This was released in 94, but obviously he lived um, much before that. Yeah, he was born in 1922, so I'm guessing this is a recording that was released posthumously. It doesn't say, there's really, I mean, the Wikipedia en- entry could not be more sparse. It's like maybe two sentences. I'm so, I'm su- <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah, I'm surprised there's even a Wikipedia page. It's like there's nothing, there's nothing here. Um, but I tried to translate it, and so Mok was a traditional Korean shamanistic music performed at and during a shamanistic ritual. 
uh, consists of singing, dancing, and percussion music. And that last element, very important, we'll get to that. And then <laughs> Donghae is it's in the Gangwon province of South Korea, so I'm guessing it was probably recorded at a ritual there. And I think more so than any of these, I felt like, you know, it definitely transported me to some type of ritual, you know, actually happening. Like, this very much felt like they just live recorded a ritual um, and then put it to CD. Unfortunately, um, without seeing the dancing or without having anything else to listen to, this was this was really tough mm. uh, because it was just, ex- I think the first few, again, this was just one... I just listened to this on YouTube. It was just one, um, I think one full video with no really, actually there might've been some track distinctions, but I think the first few tracks were literally virtually identical rhythm, like the same pattern of like really, you, you'd envision like um, like Asian tribal drumming, just any kind of mm. um, general, if you picture that in your mind. And then they slowly incorporated some very shrill flute which was interesting because that reminded me of some um, some parts of Coltrane and Sefero Sanders' discographies. I don't know okay. if they use that specific... I have no idea what flute or what instrument it was, especially their album Ohm, which I guess kind of makes sense in a way. Um, but It could have been um, uh, a Geomungo, It might have been. I, didn't, um, I, I couldn't find as nearly as much information on this album as I wanted to, but after that was incorporated then they incorporated some uh some vocals some chanting so it definitely felt like a ritual that built and built and they you slowly added you know emphasis on slowly i i i just said jim i i meant uh it's called a diagram i think sorry i I, yeah just look through my notes sorry yeah but it definitely felt like a ritual where they just slowly added more elements and it was cool. It was a cool experience, but I this it was extraordinarily repetitive and just very like the the isolated drum tracks themselves. I I couldn't I couldn't distinguish them whatsoever. Like they mm. like I try like I kind of skip back through and I was like these sound like just three tracks of the exact same music. Uh, I think this was probably the coolest listen in the sense that it it really felt like hey like I feel like I'm listening to an actual live, you know, or, you know, um, traditional ritual, mm. but it was the least, in- it was the least enjoyable, but it was definitely, I'm glad I picked this because it was very, very interesting. Just not, not super musical or at least not super musical in the, the sense that I'm used to, but it, it was, mm. it, it was cool, you know, definitely different. Um, and I do think it took that, uh, like what I experienced f- with the Chinese Taoist music to a whole new extreme, which was, <laughs> which, was in- which was interesting. Yeah. So, so I actually pulled from Korea uh, for my next one as well. Uh, this is Byungki Huang, and it's called the Best of Korean Gaia Game Music. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, the Gaia Game is like a again, it's sort of like a uh, zither type of instrument, much like the koto or the Guquin, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there's a little bit of a different, this, this in particular sounded more harp-like than anything else. And I think p- part of that, I think had to do with, um, sort of the, well, 
Oh no, I'm looking at my. <laughs> no, it's I. It, it's. It, it, it's, it definitely sounded a little different from the from those other instruments, though. Like it had, um, I think part of it is that I, I if I remember right, um, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, I'm like looking through my notes at the same time. My, my notes are just like schizophrenic, basically. Um, I so yeah, it 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 was very harp like, uh, which is the best. But and then there was some light percussion, and then um, some. Uh, which is what I mentioned before, the uh, Daigayam, which is a bamboo flute. That's it's kind of like the shakuhachi, but it it has more of like a refined sound, basically, mm-hmm. and more of a control. But it's notable that it has like this little buzz to it, um, and as well as uh, a instrument called a, a geomungo, which is uh, again part of the zither family, but its strings are uh, plucked with bamboo plectrums. So it has more of like a resonant tone, more of a sharper tone. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I sort of compare it to like a almost like a baritone guitar, in a way. Um, but I overall this was a really interesting album. I I really loved this is this is probably one of my favorites um, to listen to, uh, just because there was a lot of variety going on. Um, you know, I I really liked hearing sort of the difference in. Uh, tones, you know, sort of like in in terms of tonality, between these three countries, between Japan, China, and Korea, uh, because you would you would think that there would be possibly more of a similarity, but uh, you can really tell the three apart very well, and it's really interesting in that way. Um, I I just I I think I and I I noted here that um sort of it. it the it has this interesting vibe to it basically that reminded me a lot of like Eno's definition of ambient music that I I found myself at points listening like astutely to it and then sometimes just kind of fading out of it and enjoying it no matter what nice yeah so it was it was just a really it was a cool listen um I definitely I'm thinking about buying this um but we'll see so yeah sweet yeah. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my last one, um, some, some mixed feelings with it. Uh, I, I Like I said, the last country I want to talk about was Taiwan, and this is the only album that I found that looked interesting and also was readily available. It was uh, David Darling and the Wulu Bunun tribe. Called okay. Mudanin Kata, and uh, kind of a East meets West kind oh, of album. I, I think I, you listen to this on Apple Music, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I actually tried to listen to this too. And I was like, mm, don't know if this counts. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Like, I just I, I think I had a lot to say about it, and yeah. I, I I I liked it. Uh, so David Darling, he is a cellist, and. He, on his site, it's not super obvious how he either acquired or recorded these these field recordings of uh, like traditional singing from the the Wulan Bunun tribe in Taiwan. Um, the the singing very you know extremely varied. They have some where it's obviously a large group, you know, potentially the whole tribe. You have some solo men solo women some children like really really interesting beautiful um singing 
And in some cases on the album, it pairs really well with his cello, and it was really beautiful, and I thought it was an interesting way of bringing the traditional you know, indigenous music to a modern palette. In some cases, um, it's always... It's always tough, and I want to be careful to throw around the term cultural appropriation, but <laughs> it did in some cases feel like the indigenous people were a little bit of a back... And his cello playing was beautiful throughout. It's not like it, like he had... He was an average player. Yeah, it's, a, it's not like he was like some hack that was like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to do this. Like, he's like, clearly talented, but it just yeah. felt like... there When... I would say the best moments in the album were... Um, well, I think it was kind of tight because I liked the moments where they just had the sing isolated. It was really, really beautiful and unique. The moments where he they perfectly balanced the cello and the singing were also great. But there were a lot of moments where the voices, you know, the singing only popped through, you know, periodically, and he just kind of was doing his thing on his cello, and it mm. did feel a little bit like, um, a little bit like an experiment. A little bit, you know, not fully honoring the indigenous traditions. I still really liked. I thought it was different than the other stuff I'd listened to. I really appreciated. Um, it, it was ambitious, and, and I am. I'm glad that this exists. It's a readily available way to listen to what seems like a pretty isolated indigenous tribe and their musical traditions. But I think that's something that, and it kind of goes back to the whole. Um, kind of the problem with the world music label in general is it's kind of a it's a very western way to view mm. you know music from cultures that we're not familiar with because obviously world music i mean world music can apply to i mean that's kind of the point that it can apply to any country but i feel like that's also a little bit of the problem is that you know world music in ireland is obviously extremely different from world music in taiwan you know they're not you know and yeah it, it's just I, I do. Th I think he did. A, I think overall, he did a he did, did a good job, kind of representing that tradition. But I do wish that he let the the kind of the, the, what because if this was just a solo cello album, I mean nobody gives a shit about it. But <laughs> I mean, frankly, I mean because it's good cello playing, but it's not like it's not outstanding. Um, but I think there are some moments where it feels like this was an experiment done to gain intrigue more so than honor the. The traditions but in, okay. in, in, but in other instances it wasn't so i think that's why i was conflicted about it in other points it felt like a really poignant well-balanced blend of the you know of modern and uh you know new and old and then other instances it it didn't so but it was still cool you know yeah. and I'm, I'm glad i listened to it and that's why i kind of bent the rules a little bit to include yeah it. man i had something but, but we, we, we never go like fast and hard with the rules you know, yeah, I was I was gonna uh, say like we make the rules. If I want to break yeah, them exactly. up, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we, we we sort of try to just guide ourselves by our best judgment. Yeah, you know, uh, and sometimes we do not have that, but in this case, you very much did. So good, good on you, Gold Star for trying all that great stuff. <laughs> I'll take hugs it. and kisses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my 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 final album is uh is by so the artist's name is uh, Reiko. Kimura. It's called uh, Music for Koto. You know, go go figure. I uh, I'm I really I'm actually a little bit obsessed with Japan, so um, I kind of let my biases guide me <laughs> this time around. Like I, I mean I like I I really want to go to Japan at some point because mm -hmm. I think it's just such a beautiful country. Um, but yeah, so similar to your your Koto album, this is just 
mostly solo koto um you know had a lot of variance in sound uh but then there's some shakuhachi accompaniment that was out of this world like it was just so perfectly performed like usually when i've heard the shakuhachi it has like this raggedness to it sometimes that mm-hmm. i really like but it can grow weary but like the, the, this this just felt like a professional like somebody who had you know been born to play this instrument was playing this instrument at this point which is kind of weird to talk about an accompanied instrument at you know in an album about a, you know a completely different instrument but yeah. it, it was really cool uh nice. it was just such a beautiful album to listen to like i really want to buy this at some point um and the weird thing was like so you know i've been talking about sort of scales this entire time as well how you can sort of discern the country to a certain extent with um so, sort of the scales that they use but it was interesting in this in this particular instance because um you know sort of like a lot of the uh interesting like um like i think they're diminished notes i'm not entirely sure um i i, I don't know my music theory but there's sort of these pointed notes that that's how I describe them in my notes, basically that, um, you know, you, you get the sense, oh, this is this is a Japanese scale, basically. And uh, they didn't like they weren't as as, um, you know, out there that they, they, they weren't as obvious in this album, which I thought was a little strange, but it kind of works out really well. Like it, it almost gives me like um, at points, it almost sounded like like medieval music in a way like medieval european music okay uh just with the because you know i I think part of what makes the koto such a japanese sounding instrument is you know partially you know the scales that you're using because you're using a bridge that you know so you're you're really you're playing the same notes most of the time you can bend the strings on the other side of the bridge but for the most part you have a set amount of notes and so i don't i think they were playing with sort of like a different scale here uh-huh. Uh, so like it, it almost sounded like it, like almost like a medieval lute, like, um, like I almost envisioned like playing Oblivion to, to like, to, to this, this album at some points, uh, but only at some points, it, it, but overall I just, it was such a beautiful, just simply beautiful album and just sort of that, um, sort of that Japanese notion of no mind i mean it's not really japanese it's more of like a taoist thing i guess is probably the best way to describe it but gets sort of inserted into zen uh-huh. but you know just like immediately my mind thinks of the uh the japanese tea ceremony where like every single instance of movement in that ceremony is dead like it's supposed to be perfectly done and dedicated to exactly what it's doing at that point Mm-hmm. and uh like even to the point that like when you are in the the tea house for the ceremony you're not supposed to think about anything else but the tea ceremony itself and so it just kind of gave me those vibes of just like very just calm and like you know i i hate to use the word because it's been so co-opted by like new new age idiots but mm-hmm. zen it has a very zen feel to it in terms that it's it's simple yet infinitely complex in its simplicity. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. That, yeah, so th- that was definitely my favorite. Um, yeah, I-, I really enjoyed this overall. I thought this was a really fun exploration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of nervous about some of the, some of the other regions in the world 
because not um not every region of the world is going to have music quite like this obviously because we're talking about different places um, yeah but just like i i think that, like there's some world music that i or God, i hate using that term because i yeah but yeah it, um, it's kind of a uh, i don't i know i mean it, it's lesser of two evils so that doesn't really work here but it, it's kind like, of it, it, it's it's a loaded term um in 2020 so yeah I, i'm trying to think of uh oh indigenous the, music no but, uh, but I was trying to give a specific genre name, but uh, there was a few years ago I loved uh, Wakla Zimple is a really great, oh, yeah. great uh, clarinetist from Poland, and he collaborated with um, instrumentalists from India f- for a group called uh, I think Sakara, and it was a gorgeous, gorgeous um, album. I think the album was literally just called Two. It was their you know their second album together, and technically it was carnetic classical music. That's what it, it's. Uh, classical it's kind of music from a specific part of india but obviously when i talk i think i wrote about it for the blog where i talked about it elsewhere i mean people are gonna be like what the fuck's current like they don't like people like yeah it's just, it's just the fact that people in our part of the world don't know about all these traditions so if you like if you say current classical music they'd be like okay i don't know what that means and if you say it's like indian world or indian music they're like okay you know i, I can kind of wrap my head around yeah, what I, that I might mean, sound it, like indian music definitely gives you more of a of an idea but still sure. like you know like there, there's more going on in india than just like hinduism yeah exactly like you know was like the zoroastrians make up you know a, a you know a part of the population you know mm-hmm. and buddhists and things like that. so you know um anyway uh what i what i was what i meant to say about that was that like i you know i i've actually tried to listen to like some like indian music before specifically like more like indian classical music like uh like ravi shankar and like uh you know sitar based like raga yeah uh and i found it really difficult and at some points just like headache inducing um do, and i i can't really explain why um uh, i think it's just like like do, do you remember uh fantano talking about lightning bolt how like they give him like a fucking headache whenever he listens to them mm-hmm. but like he loves them anyway like it, it, it's it's kind of like that it's it's not meant to be a disparaging remark i think it's just like some music you know uh hits you the right way and some music doesn't yeah so but anyway let's uh let's talk about albums of the week scoots you got an album of the week for me i do and in in the year of our lord 2020 i did not think i would be talking about a brand new album from this band but i am i'm glad that i can and it is the new x album alphabet land um (laughs) I, I can't believe that they, they, you picked that as your album of the week, but, you know, Why? I, well, I'm just surprised that, that you like X so much, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I just like, I, I listen to them and I'm like, like, I, I just, I, I don't see what you see in them, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, like, I don't know. But, but like, the, 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 none of this is meant to be like, Scott, you're wrong because this is album of the week. This is your album of the week. So, yeah, I just, I mean, I just think it's really, um, and usually, I mean, I hate when people say this, but like, I just think it's fun. Like it's, it's, it's really, and I think why it's, it's, it's sick to me so much is I've talked a lot about, uh, like a great example of what I'm going to talk about is the new Pearl Jam album is, (laughs) you know, obviously veteran artists, you know, when you say, oh, like it sounds old. Well, yeah, I mean like they're, they're old, but I think there's a difference between veteran bands sounding like they're just they're doing what they're they're trying to do what they've done all along but just they're old and they can't do it as well um and then there's veteran acts that are able to just hone what they used to do um 
but do it in an interesting way. Like there are some really cool tracks in this that I feel like explore some newish territory and it's just, it's fun. It's energetic. I'm really impressed that they were able to channel what I love about Los Angeles, except, you know, nearly four decades later. And I just found myself returning to it. I mean, I just throughout nice. the, the week, I, I just, it brought me a lot of enjoyment. It, it, it is, I don't listen to a ton of new punk and I guess I don't even know if this is, uh, I don't know if this is technically a new punk album because obviously they're older. It, I mean, it's a punk album that came out in 2020. I can see. Yeah, it but punk. they're still, they're definitely, um, like, I think their specific brand, I've, I've seen the genre tag Psychobilly because they kind of have the, yeah. the, the, the rockabilly swing to it. I mean, definitely very much is a, is a punk album, but I don't know. I think at the end of the day, I just thought it was fun. It was a really, really fun album. Um, yeah, and... I, I mean, the the little I listened to of it, it, it was definitely just like they they definitely just enjoyed what they were doing. Yeah, and, and I was impressed that they were able to not sound super dated, unlike other bands, aka Pearl Jam. So, <laughs> the, not too salty about that, Scott. No, just I don't. Like, I, I there's certain people I know who were like so stoked that this was a return to form, and I listened to it. I was like, this is everything I remember Pearl Jam sounding like, except really old. And super like, like good God! I was like, like why are they even? Why? Like, what? I, I think the, the real question is, why are you listening? Why, why are you even bothering listening to Pearl Jam? Because Scott? like the people I they, know, like who, they, they are like objectively the worst grunge band. No, but like there are people I know who whose opinions other, I otherwise respect who were like, man, return to form, really great, love it. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Like, I'll, I'll put it on within my my release day listening. And I was like, holy shit, this is, like, it wasn't even bad. It was just like, this sounds like old men trying to bring back the 90s grunge. Which, first of all, grunge is obviously dated inherently. But then when you tack onto it, older musicians trying to make it, like, you know, stop trying to make grunge a thing again. It's not going to be a thing. Um, I mean, they tell that the theory of a dead man, you know? Yeah, well. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I I get you though. That that's I I'm really glad you do like that X album though. So and also it's so weird how that like that announcement came out of fucking nowhere too. No, that's I think that that might also be why adding to my my hype around it just being transparent because like of all bands to come back 35 years later just I literally didn't hear a single thing about it up until it happened. Yeah. Like, it just, out of nowhere, this legendary punk band's like, yep, we released a brand new album, and also, I think the cover's cool. Like, I totally, we've seen examples of bands like Black Flag come back from the dead, and you're like, hey, you might as well just get back in the grave. Like, it's just just easier that way. Ooh. So. Shots fired, but not really, because I don't think anybody likes that album. No, I think that is the only... Uh, I think I'm missing maybe a compilation or two, but that's the only Black Flag full length I don't have, and I don't think that's going to change anytime too. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, um, <laughs> did, did you buy uh, that that Morbid Angel album? I I just I just no, that's that's I, another I, good I point. I did at one point. I was going to, but I was like, but I'm not going to listen to it. Like, maybe at some <laughs> yeah. point down the road, if I find a really, because I think it was. It was over five bucks. It was like six or seven bucks. So yeah, no. I was like, you know, the completionist in me really wants to buy it, but the person who listens to good death metal in me is like, no, that's <laughs> it was okay. like fuck no. Yeah, I was like, no, that's fine. We don't need to do that. Yeah, I I get you. That that that's kind of why I I 
don't plan on buying octahedron at any time any point in time well i okay. I, I did i i had sold it like same thing with um nocturnicate like neither of those like i don't own either of those albums and i don't really want either of those albums, okay to okay be perfectly but honest to but, be fair those albums in relation to the band's discography are better they're 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 less egregious falls from grace than the other albums we mentioned. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That that that's a fair point. Like like um, Illude, there are actually some decent enough death metals. Like not as good as the band's heyday on Illude, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. Like there's some like if they if they cut it down to like an EP, it wouldn't be terrible. But then the industrial metal songs are just god awful. So See, I it's funny because the idea of industrial death metal is like really cool like i mean um but what what would you consider that 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 Fonj album to be technically i, I guess industrial death metal i, I mean I yeah think it's, 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 I, it, I had it on this week and it was super good yeah uh, it, it, it really, is not my album of the week though but <laughs> it really does like they pitched it as like hm2 entombed core mixed with industrial metal and i was like it, like, it really is yeah that's was, the, i was like super good i was like oh but that's just that's a gimmick but yeah it literally that's just what it sounds like and it's uh, yeah it's really cool that i mean that that's up there for like one of my favorite metal albums of the year so far but nice. there's one other one that you also recommended to me that i finally got to listen to this week and that's uh necroscape by tatema the uh oh. band featuring uh mike Patton. nice uh yeah, I I was really I was really interested by this thing. I I I can't say that like, you know, it totally blew me away, mm-hmm. but there was like, it, it has like that it factor kind of mm-hmm. in it that really makes me want to go back to it. Um, I guess my, my my one real complaint is similar to almost every other patent release is that it, it never feels like he, you know, goes a hundred percent. Yeah. In especially like I mean it's it's definitely not as bad as like I mean and I'm gonna get shots fired at me for this but um, uh, Angel Dust like I I really think that he does not try on that album at all but that's just me um, but to, I I really liked how in this in this album um, you know you heard the full range of what he was capable of which I thought was really cool and I loved how the variety like it it felt like an amalgamation of like everything Mike Patton had done up to this point mm-hmm. in a way. Like, you know, you, you got a little bit of like Zorny Moonchild going on. Mm-hmm. You got a little bit of like Faith No More slash Mr. Bungle with like sort of the way uh, the songs would sort of, you know, just change pace at like, you know, the blink of an eye. Um, but then you've also got like him singing in Italian too. Yeah. With, like, like, like Mondo Kane. Uh, you know, so it was, it was a really interesting listen. I, I can't wait to, you know, give it another listen at some point. So Yeah, I it, figured when I recommended it to you, I wasn't sure what you'd think, but I, I really liked it. I, yeah. I just I thought it sounded uh, interesting, and uh, I definitely I like it more than... Because I went back and listened to their debut, and I thought it was good, but just adding those two other members, um, like a dedicated... Uh, uh, synth... Yeah, yeah, especially a dedicated drummer. It just added a lot more life to it. I think that some of the compositions did necessitate the patent dial back of it. I, I agree that I, I, given like what I know he can do, it, it yeah, he could have dialed up a bit more. But I still like what he did actually. Yeah, it, he 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 definitely like just he he used what he had. You know, maybe he didn't 
you maybe didn't like bleed for it i guess Mm -hmm. but like he still used it and i and it's really admirable i i really like hearing that full vocal range within the context of a single album Mm -hmm. so uh yeah super super fun album uh yeah all right this is uh this has been our episode this week so uh really fun one thanks for listening yeah man it's been fun uh so talk to you next week all right bye bye Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.